Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. We have uh, been talking all weekend long about things that are not going to happen at the end of time, things that will happen at the end of time. And these last two messages are really designed to kind of put all that together in an organized fashion. Uh, But let me make this observation. Who gets to answer the question about what's going to happen at the end of time? What would you think about this idea? What if I told you that we have selected 35 to 40 individuals from this congregation that are very educated, very, very, very smart people, and we're sending them off into a room somewhere to answer the question, what's going to happen at the end of time? And when they finish figuring that out, we're going to then post their findings on the internet and tell the whole world they have to live by their their conclusions. What would you say to that? That's not going to work because people are going to be saying, who do you think you are, you 35 to 40 people that are telling us what it's going to be? How would you know any more than I would know? But what if, what if 35 to 40 individuals were holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit What if God was revealing, if God revealed to men what was going to happen at the end of time? Well, what qualifies God to know about it? Well, let me ask you, was God involved in the beginning of time? Sure. Therefore, does he not know what's going to happen at the end of time? He does. He knows both the beginning and the ending. And I'm thankful that I don't have to stand here and try to give you my opinion, which would be worthless to you on the day of judgment, by the way. That's why the flyer does not say B.J. Clark's answers to men's questions about the end times. Because who is B.J. Clark? I'm no one when it comes to authority. But what if it says God's answer? Well, who do you think you are to say you have God's answers? You have them too. Anyone that owns a copy of this revelation from God has the answers to how the world began, why the world began, and how the world's going to end. And so let's discuss from this book some things that will not happen at the end of time. Number one, and this is astonishing to some people, but based on what this teaches, Jesus will not give the Jews any land in Palestine. Why not? Because the promise that he made in Genesis 12 that he would give Abram's descendants a land was reiterated there also in Genesis 15 and verse 18. Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the river Euphrates. And then Joshua 21. Notice Joshua 21, 43. What does your Bible say about how much land God gave to the fathers, the children of Israel? The Lord gave unto Israel how much? 
all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, they actually possessed it. They got it already. God gave it to them. In fact, notice it says, the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he swore unto their fathers. There stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And then zoom in on verse 45 of Joshua 21. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. So God does not owe the Jews any land in Palestine. He already gave it all to them. Now, Nehemiah, about a thousand years after Joshua made this statement. In Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 7, it's recorded by Nehemiah. Ezra is involved in the prayer. Notice, thou art the Lord, the God. And the prayer remembers how God chose Abram, brought him forth out of the earth of the Chaldees, gave him the name of Abraham, but now focus on verse 8. Found his heart faithful before thee, made a covenant with him to give the land of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed. And what does Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 8 say at the bottom about whether God ever did that or not? And hast performed thy words. You did what you said you were going to do, for thou art righteous. God already gave them the land he promised. There's none that they need that he didn't give them. Joshua 23, 14. Not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. Not one thing has failed thereof. And so this allegation that the Jews are owed some land that God never gave them and he's going to finally give it to them during the millennial kingdom on earth, allegedly, is simply not what matches up with Scripture. Now, let's go to the time of King Solomon. It's the dedication of the temple. This is 1 Kings 8.56. He said at that time, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. And so, number one this morning is there's not going to be any land given to the Jews at the end of time. They already got it. Here's number two. Jesus will not establish an earthly kingdom. He will not establish an earthly kingdom. In fact, you may have seen this chart before, which is very well done, not original uh, with me by any stretch. You notice the image on the left side of the screen has been smitten with this large stone at the bottom right of that image. And that is that which was made without hands. God's power was able to destroy the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greek and Rome, Greece and Rome. And so those kingdoms have come and gone as far as world power status is concerned. But during the days of the Romans, Daniel 2.44 predicted that there would be a kingdom established that would never be destroyed. It wouldn't be subject to destruction like earthly kingdoms are. And sure enough, 
There was during the days of the Romans in the first century, a kingdom established. And I want to just show you very quickly when that kingdom was established. There on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, we see Isaiah 2 and Daniel 2 coming together. When I was here recently for the Wednesday night series, the fall series, I went through at length the Second Samuel 7 promise that says, David, when you're dead and buried, one of your descendants is going to establish a kingdom and build a house. And one might think Solomon is the fulfillment of that because Solomon did build the house of God, the temple. But we know from Acts 2, there was someone greater than Solomon that would build something greater than Solomon's temple. It is Jesus who built the temple, the church. And that church was established. And that's why on the day of Pentecost, Peter would say, let all the house of Israel know assuredly God has made. He didn't say we'll make someday. He said God has made the same Jesus whom you crucified. What has he made him? Both Lord and what? Christos. Anointed one. (coughs) A reference to the king. There is a king on the throne right now. His name is Jesus. His kingdom has already been established. Let me give you a couple of quick proofs of that. In Colossians chapter 1 in your Bible, you'll find a statement that is made there that shows the kingdom is now in existence. We're not waiting for it to be established someday. It's already in existence. It's a heavenly kingdom. But in Colossians chapter 1, what does Paul tell the Colossians? There in verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus came to establish that kingdom but couldn't and went back to heaven until he could come back and do it. No. That is the allegation of some in the religious world, but it's not the teaching of Scripture. Jesus established the kingdom he came to establish. He said, my kingdom's not of this world, John 18, 36. It was never meant to be a physical, carnal, earthly kingdom. It was spiritual in nature, and he is reigning right now. Our high priest has passed into the heavens, And he is our Lord right now, King of kings, Lord of lords. The kingdom was established during the days of the Roman Empire. May I make a note for you? You're going to find some who teach premillennial doctrine claiming that someday Rome will be revived to become the world power of all world powers. Why would they make such a statement based on, I mean, Rome's not a world power like it once was during the days that they conquered Greece and then led up to the time of the first century establishment of the Lord's kingdom. Rome's not a world power. But the reason they take Daniel 2.44 as not yet fulfilled is because they're looking for an earthly kingdom. Daniel 2.44 has been fulfilled, but they don't think it has. And so they have to come up with, oh, the, only, the kingdom can't come until Rome's in power, so Rome must revive someday and be the world power. 
Good news, we don't need for Rome to revive and become the world power. It was the power in force at the time Jesus established his kingdom on the day of Pentecost. And he now reigns. Look at Revelation 1.9. John, where are you? Well, John says, I'm in the kingdom. Wait a second. Revelation 1.9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom... Now, it's my understanding that there was a time when uh, you all met uh, in earlier days in a location other than this room, right? Why was that the case? Because this room wasn't yet ready for a meeting. It wasn't yet in existence for it to be met in. So I tell our students sometimes, if, if I were to say to you, and I'm in the classroom telling them this, if I were to say to you, come into the classroom right now, what would you say to me? And what would they say? We're already here. You can't enter into a place you already are. If I said to you, young people, I want you to enter the auditorium right now. You would say, I'm already in the auditorium. How can I enter a place I already am? Listen, John couldn't be in the kingdom. Paul couldn't be in the kingdom. The Colossians couldn't be in the kingdom if it didn't yet exist. It did exist. It does exist. And if you obey the gospel, you'll become a member of it today. You'll be in the same kingdom they were. And here's the third thing that's not going to happen at the end of time. Jesus is not going to wage war against a singular figure known as the Antichrist. People have heard this so much, they just assume it's true. What Revelation, by the way, never contains the word Antichrist in a single passage. The book of Revelation does not contain the word antichrist in a single verse. Some have assumed that the beast of Revelation 13 is the same as the antichrist, but that's an assumption, and it's not something affirmed by Scripture. And so this antichrist, well, who is he? And you'll hear all kinds of different things. And they say the barcode is going to be, you know, the mark of the beast or the Antichrist. And this is what they actually argue. Remember, according to them, the church age is plan B. And it will only last until the rapture. When the rapture happens, that's when the church age comes to a screeching halt. And now the prophetic clock begins ticking again. And the, we enter into the seven uh, years of tribulation, which they allege are predicted by Daniel chapter 9, which is not at all what Daniel chapter 9 is teaching about. So this alleged period of seven years of great tribulation is the time when Antichrist is dominating the culture. And then Christ returns, supposedly, with his saints to take care of the Antichrist, to fight the bloody battle of Armageddon, and then to begin the thousand-year reign. This chart right here does something, especially at the bottom, that I want you to be aware of. Their allegation is that the 70 weeks of Daniel 9 were, were humming along beautifully until Jesus was unexpectedly rejected and the kingdom couldn't be established so what are we going to do now? God called a timeout. Called a timeout on the prophetic clock. 
And that clock has not ticked one second in advancement of God's prophetic plans since the day that uh, Jesus Christ ascended and went back into heaven. Has not advanced one second. We're in the holding pattern right now of the church age. They would claim we're in the period between the 69th and 70th week mentioned in Daniel 9 and that the 70th week of Daniel 9 is when Antichrist shows up. They claim that Revelation chapters 4 through 19 is describing the great tribulation in the future. We showed last night it was describing events that were going on in their day and time and the comfort that they needed was given to them in those messages Christ will come back after seven years of tribulation, supposedly, fight Armageddon, set up the earthly kingdom, and Satan will be bound until he's released. Near the end, and Gog and Magog's battle will take place, and there'll be a judgment. That's the claim of premillennialism. But I'm now going to show you every verse in the Bible that has the word antichrist in it. And here's what I want to ask you. As we look, It won't take long, by the way. Five times four verses. Um, Here's what I want you to look for. See if any of these verses mention a charismatic figure who is winsome and convinces everyone to think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread and gets everyone to think he's wonderful and then turns on them unexpectedly and starts slaughtering them and is just the evil man, as evil as any man ever has been, see if you get, and that he will dominate and, and put Christians through great tribulation. I want you to see the, the five times in the four verses that the word antichrist is used and see if any of that jumps off the screen at you or off the page of your Bible at you. Little children, it's the last time. It's the last age of Bible history. As you've heard that Antichrist shall come. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what? Even now, John writes in the first century, are there many Antichrists, plural? He said that's one way we're knowing, one way we know we're in the last age of Bible history. So there are many Antichrists, plural. So the Antichrist doctrine in Scripture is not one singular figure who is the Antichrist. There are many who are against Christ. And in 1 John 2.22, we get some information as to who would qualify to be an antichrist. Who is a liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. If you say Jesus is not the Christ, you are antichrist. That's what he says. He is antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Do you have to be a world ruler, a big political figure to be the Antichrist or an Antichrist? No, you don't. Anyone that denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist. And then you see in 1 John 4, 3, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Remember the Gnostic issue in the New Testament There were some who said, oh, God would never become flesh. That would contaminate his deity. And so they became known as Gnostics. And John is addressing issues related to that doctrine. Anyone that comes along and tells you Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, he only appeared to. Anyone that tells you Jesus did not come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist 
whereof you've heard that it should come. John, are we waiting for it someday to finally get here? Even now already is it in the world. Antichrist was in existence in John's day in the first century. Second John verse seven. For many deceivers, notice many, not one, many deceivers are entered into the world. What's so deceptive about them? They confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. There is not that, by the way, we're done. That's all that the Bible says that has the word antichrist in it. Some people have plugged the antichrist into any individual they, they see in scripture without warrant. They'll just say, well, that's the antichrist. Well, you need more than an allegation. You need scripture or confirmation and they don't have it. Now here's one that is similar to one we've already looked at. But to me, if you're looking for one of the most devastating proofs that premillennialism is not true. If you want one of the best proofs that Jesus will never reign on earth on the literal throne of David, we're about to see that in such clear fashion that it cannot be missed if someone's open-minded. Jesus is not going to reign on earth sitting on the throne of David. He'll sit on the throne of David, but not on earth. He's sitting on the throne of David now. But watch this. Here's Zechariah 6. May I give you some historical context to make this more meaningful? The people have been home from captivity now, and this is around 520 BC, 520 years before Christ would arrive. And prophecies are flowing through Zechariah about the coming Christ. Notice. Speak to him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He's talking about Jesus. He shall grow up out of his place. And what will this Jesus do? He shall build the temple of the Lord. Not an earthly temple on the temple mount in Jerusalem. The actual spiritual temple of the Lord that the Corinthian church were told, You're the temple of God. Yes, you the church are the temple of God. But note something. He's going to build the temple of the Lord. But verse 13 says, even he shall build the temple of the Lord and bear the glory. He'll sit and rule upon his throne. Stop, let me slow down. Sit and rule upon his throne. So he's on a throne and he's ruling. What does the passage in yellow say he will be at the same time he's sitting on his throne? What does the word of God say Jesus will be at the same time he's on his throne. He shall be a priest upon his throne. Okay, well, let's put this together then. This is a syllogism in logic. It's very simple to understand. Here's your major premise. He's a priest on his throne, says Zechariah 6.13. And we see now Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest, but wait, where does the Bible say our high priest is living? Our high priest is passed into the heavens. Jesus ascended, he left this earth. Is he our high priest right now? Yes, according to Hebrews 4, 14, we have a great one. He's our great high priest, and where is he? He's in heaven. So take this minor premise, he's a priest in heaven. 
So he's a priest on his throne, Zechariah 6.13. He's a priest in heaven. So where would his throne thus have to be? His throne's in heaven. I mean, just reason. If he's a priest on his throne, and Zechariah 6.13 says he is, and if he's a priest in heaven, and Hebrews 4.14 says he is, therefore, where would his throne have to be? In heaven. And I'll tell you, when you combine this passage with what we just read, you get some very, very powerful information. If he were on earth, what would he not be? He should not be a priest. Oh, wait a minute. If he were on earth, Hebrews 8, 4 says he couldn't be a priest. <clears throat> but we know from Zechariah six thirteen, he will be a priest on his throne. But let's put this together now and what do we have? If he's a priest on his throne, but he couldn't be a priest on earth, where can his throne not be? His throne cannot be on earth because if he were on earth, he couldn't be a priest, but he is a priest when he's on his throne. But since he cannot be an, a priest on earth, he can't be on a throne on earth because he's a priest at the same time he's on his throne. So says Hebrews 8, 4 and Zechariah six thirteen. But this next one is one of my favorites as we start closing out. I want you to notice, is this man Coniah or Jeconiah as he's also known? It's a king of, Israel, of Judah back then. Is this man Coniah, Jeconiah, a despised broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed that are cast out into a land which they know not? Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. And then we get this. Thus saith the Lord, write this man. What man? This man right here, Coniah or Jeconiah, Jeconias, same man. Write him what? Write him childless. A man that shall not prosper in his days. Now we know this cannot be write him childless biologically because he did have children, but write him childless regally, royally. He would not have a child that would sit on the throne in Judah. He would never have a, normally the king's son will replace the king, but not in this case on earth. There will, no be, there will not be a descendant of Coniah reigning on earth in Judah. No man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So here's your syllogism. No descendant of Coniah or Jeconiah can sit upon the throne of David and rule in Judah. Well, wait a minute. Who just so happens to be a descendant of Coniah? Jeconiah. Matthew 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then what does he start doing? Giving us the genealogical connection to Christ. And what does Matthew 1, 11 include in the genealogical connections to Christ? Josiah begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. So wait, Jeconias is in the seed line leading up to Christ? Yes. 
But wait, no descendant of Jeconias can ever sit on the throne of David in Judah. That's right. Didn't say he couldn't sit on the throne of David, period. He can't sit on the throne of David where, class? In Judah. So let's put it all together. Here's what you've got. No descendant of Coniah, Jeconiah, can sit upon the throne of David and rule where? In Judah. Jesus is a descendant of Coniah, Jeconiah, according to Matthew 1, 11, 12. Therefore, Jesus cannot reign on the throne of David in Judah or Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So there you have proof positive that Jesus can never reign in Jerusalem because he's the descendant of Coniah and no descendant of Coniah would ever reign in Jerusalem unless God didn't tell the truth. And who wants to uh, say that's my view? No, I don't, I'm not gonna say that that's my view. God knew what was coming. He knew what would not happen. And he said, Jesus will never reign on the throne of David in Judah. He didn't say he wouldn't reign on the throne of David. As we close, go to Acts 2. And I want to show you this. I'm going to give you back some time here. I think I'm probably going to beat the ringing of the bells that I was given. And so we can visit in here until the other classes are done or we can do whatever needs to be done. But I'm about to finish up here. I want you to go to Acts 2 with me. Acts chapter 2. And let's zoom in on something that... uh, should not be overlooked. Verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, but a man approved of God among you. How did you know he was really from God? By miracles, wonders, signs, which God did by him in the midst. You know exactly what he did in your midst. You know about Jesus and his miracles. And uh, verse 23, he, Jesus, was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Whoa, whoa, wait. What does that do to the unexpectedly rejected notion? It wasn't unexpected. He was delivered by God's determinate counsel and foreknowledge. God knew he would be rejected of men, prophesied it in Isaiah 53. And 1 Corinthians 15 says his death, burial, and resurrection was according to the scriptures, not in opposition to the scriptures. It was in accordance with the scriptures. So here we see now in verse 25, Peter and the other apostles are preaching. They say, do you know David talked about this day? David foresaw the Lord before my face on my right hand that I should not be moved. And so he said that you would not leave my soul in Hades is the better translation there in verse 27 of Acts 2. What did Jesus say? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not stop me from doing it. They won't prevail against me. I'm going to build that church, that kingdom. I'm going to establish it. Even Hades cannot keep me from doing it. So he says in verse number 29, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. Stop right there. How many of them were saying, whoa, that's breaking news. David died. Did you know David died? I didn't know that either. Wow. How did we miss that? Uh, When did he die? A thousand years ago. Oh, friends, they knew David was dead. 
Can you tell me why there is such emphasis on the fact that David is dead and buried? Why is there such emphasis on a fact that was so historically known because of 2 Samuel 7, which we preached about a few weeks ago? David, when you're dead and buried, one of your descendants is going to build me a house and establish a kingdom. And Jesus Christ is that one, because watch it, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up, does your Bible say Solomon? Mm -mm. He would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, David's throne. He's seen this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. His soul wasn't left in Hades, no. His flesh didn't see corruption. He was raised. We're all witnesses of it. And therefore, where is he now? Being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he shed forth this which you now see and hear. David hasn't ascended into the heavens, but he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your foes thy footstool. And here we go. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, I was taught, stop and see what it's there for. In view of the fact that the Davidic descendant, Jesus, has risen from the dead to build his church, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, God made the same Jesus you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, Christos, anointed one king. He is capital K, king of kings, Lord of Lords. His kingdom is already in existence. We don't need to wait for him to come back and try to build one on earth. And I know from Jeremiah, there's no way he ever could reign on this earth in Judah because Jeremiah says, no descendant of Coniah can ever do that. I look forward to our last session after our lunch break. And I thank you very, very much for your kind and splendid attention. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.